0: Everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell, laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret.
1: And this is Amy. And today, we're talking to our friend Hunter Clark-Fields. She's the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, the host of the Mindful Mama podcast, and the author of the book, Raising Good Humans, a Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. Hunter helps parents bring more calm and peace into their daily lives. Yes, please. (laughs) We're here for that. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in meditation practices and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide and now us. She is the mother to two daughters. Welcome,
2: Hunter. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We need a little dose of mindfulness. I know I do. We do. I'm in the chaos pit. I have to clarify something because it's funny when I hear my bio because they, you know I teach calm and peace and mindfulness. I just want to clarify that I don't teach all of this because I'm naturally good at it. I <laughs> teach all of this because I needed it desperately. That's why. Your book
1: begins with that very sort of story, with that moment. Can you tell us about it? Because it's a low moment and it's one that every single one of us has had.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember my daughter was like not even two years old when my temper came out. I really had issues in my temper and I had yelled at her again and I had lost it and I could hear her through the door crying because I had scared her. And I remember like just sitting on the floor, like sobbing feeling ashamed. And just this was like, it was so hard for me, because this was exactly what I didn't want. Because, you know, that's how my father was, my father had this temper. And so it was exactly what I didn't want. But I was perpetuating this pattern that had gone on through generations. So yeah, from there, I really had to dive in to kind of understand what was happening for me, because it was an incredibly, you know, it was just I couldn't go forward with the temper that I had. How old are your daughters now? That daughter is now 15 and my other daughter is 12. Okay.
0: Wow. You've come a long way. I think it's so important to start at that place because we did an episode a while back on mom rage. And I remember kind of reluctantly talking about a time where I had grabbed one of my children in a rage and grabbed them so hard that I left, you know, like the four finger mark on the back of their arm, just like, you need to understand. And coming away from that And what I held from that experience was so much like shame and like no one else would ever do something like this. Like this is a shameful bad mom moment. It was a bad mom moment, but it wasn't necessarily a secret shame moment. And I feel like sharing that on the podcast, so many people came back and said, That's me. I've done things like that. And that being able to say, like, we start from a place that needs help is really, really valuable to people versus like, there are some people who are naturally dropped from heaven, just in this Zen place where they're always calm. Preschool teachers? Maybe. Yes. Kindergarten teachers.
2: (laughs) Yes. I don't know how they do it.
0: (laughs) No, me neither.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, I, yeah, I just had this incredible temper. It was so frustrating. You know, I remember being a little kid and having my father sort of rage at me. And it was so frustrating because I would listen to some great parenting teachers and coaches, a shout out to another great Podcast Zen Parenting Radio, Todd and Kathy Adams. I would listen to them. I'd be like, okay, that's how I'm going to respond. Like Kathy says to do it, and I would be like, okay, I'm going to respond this way. And the, but it would just like as soon as I was losing it, it would all go out the window, like completely. And then as I started to kind of understand my reactivity, like there's biological reasons why all of that goes out the window. And so dealing with that biology of that we are wired to be reactive has to come first for everything in parenting. If we're going to be able to use our whole brain, if we're going to be able to use... So, the prefrontal cortex, you know, it regulates verbal ability. It regulates impulse control and all that good knowledge that you've learned about what to say, right? Like that's all there and you can't even access that until you're calming your stress response. So, it always has to start with that and that's what I really realize is that this work I had done with mindfulness for some years or for just a few years until then had to kind of meet this work with kind of like, well, how do we respond to our kids? Because one without the other was sort of useless. You know, it was useless to learn these good ways to respond if you can access it when you were starting to get triggered. And then vice versa. It's useless to be able to calm down and then say something like unskillful that your parents might have said to you. And then, you know, set your ticking time bomb of a child off again, which happened to me. So I really, the work I do is really about bringing those both together, like calming our reactivity and then skillful communication.
1: But this is so interesting. And so eye opening to me, this idea that you say that your anger and frustration and patience, you realize they could be your teachers on the path to something else. And I guess I really did before reading your book sort of think that once you're a mindful parent you don't feel angry or frustrated or impatient <laughs> you, anymore. You take
0: the cure. <laughs> you don't have
1: that part. That goes away once you're good enough. Right. That part doesn't happen. Wow. <laughs>
2: So I'm wrong about that, Hunter, you're telling me. No, no, definitely still get angry. It's just that, you know, all the emotions arise. It's just that you can take it down a little faster. You can interrupt that cycle faster. You know, you can recover faster from all of those things. Like, you know, I still feel all of those things, but I just have some more skillful ways to respond. And even sometimes like when it gets... You know, I remember not that many years ago, we had a family movie night and my daughter, Sora, my second daughter, she like, you know, was hyped up after the movie and I was just exhausted. And she just was like driving me bananas. So, I thought, okay, I'm just going to like read this thing. I'm going to ignore her and she will go away and go to bed. She was, I think, nine at the time. And that didn't work. And then she started laughing at me and I was like, Rah! like... <laughs> <laughs> it was this whole new <laughs> trigger I didn't realize, you know, having her laugh at me. And I was just like, you know, if you picture that, like, from what that Inside Out movie and the little like anger red figure, like that flame head, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. flaming head, that was totally me. And so I didn't stop my yelling at that point, but I was able to yell something more skillful at that point, which I was pretty psyched about. And I was just like, got up had my library book. I like, I said, I'm feeling really angry right now. (laughs) (laughs) I walked out the door. I slammed the door, threw my library book down on the cardboard, (laughs) which wasn't so good. I had to walk for a good 10 to 15 minutes to kind of calm myself down. But in the end, I was proud of myself for being able to be that frustrated, but then be able to say something skillful and not blameful in that moment. So there's all these kind of different levels of kind of practicing with this and practicing to calm yourself down and practicing new communication, practicing to take care of your stress response that can kick in as you start down this path.
0: And you talk about your girls being the kind of motivator to figure out those stress responses. And it's something that we hear a lot from our audience is either people who have adverse childhood experiences or they just want to parent differently than their parents And that for a lot of people, their temper or whatever issues, then workarounds and operating systems that they've approached the world with have functioned pretty well in the real world. But then you have kids and suddenly you can't necessarily use those same skill sets or those same ways of being when it comes to being a parent, that like the way maybe you're negotiating at your job, like, hey, my temper actually comes in handy here. And the fact that I intimidate people works in my favor. But I had this myself to some degree, like, oh, little kids, like, I don't actually want to be the scary authority figure all the time in this scenario.
2: No, no. And you're put in this parent-child relationship again. Like in most of our lives, we don't have people who are just really trying to push sort of against boundaries that we're holding, you right. know. Exactly right. It's this this whole new thing. And you're kind of put back into patterns that you didn't realize. Like for me, you know, when my daughter got upset or yelled, you know, because she was highly sensitive. Both my girls are like, you know, especially my first daughter is really highly sensitive. And if she got upset, and got upset at me, like it felt like unacceptable to me, like in my bones, you know? And I had to kind of do this sort of digging to realize like, oh, that feels like that because when I was little and I got upset, my dad would rage at me. And so, I got the message loud and clear that this is unacceptable. So, then when I see it in my daughter or experience it in my daughter, you know, it feels unacceptable to me. So, it was like this whole... You have this whole wiring that I had to kind of interrupt that pattern and start to practice a new pattern, you know, and, and that's not easy. You practice that old pattern maybe a lot more, but it, you know, we have this neuroplasticity. We can change. It just takes, you know, what we practice grows stronger. So we
1: have this intention, right, to parent differently. I'm going to let my kids, you know, yell and scream sometimes and let it all hang. I'm going to let them have all their feelings, you might say, if you grew up parented in a way with, where your kids couldn't do that. And yet when you are in the moment, when your kid is exhibiting the very behavior you weren't allowed to exhibit as a child, that is when the sort of stress response can kick in. Even with our best intentions, I want my kid to get to do this thing, be this person that I wasn't allowed to be. When they then exhibit it, it can set us off.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's frustrating because we kind of go into this, we think it's just a choice, right? We think, okay, I'm gonna make a choice to do things differently. I have an intention means I'm making a choice, right? And it's not as easy as a simple choice because we are have this wired biology. So then you're in this situation and your conditioning and your biology then if your child is having these big feelings and that that wasn't something you were allowed to do, it feels threatening to you. So your nervous system is registering your child as a threat. It's not a conscious choice you're making. You know, like nobody is like saying like, oh, you know, I would like to yell at my kid at 2.15 today and scare them. Like, no, (laughs) like no one does that. It's not a conscious choice we're making. And I think that's so important to realize because we're so blameful of ourselves and we're so hard on ourselves for this, but yet no one is conscious. Consciously choosing to yell and be scary, right? It's not a choice. It's something that is wired into our biology, right? That part of our system, that fight, flight, or freeze part of our system, that's like the only part of our system that is fully developed at birth, right? Because it's so important for survival. It's so deeply ingrained in there. Yeah, you know, so it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. It's something that, you know, we don't necessarily want to pass on this harmful pattern to our kids. We want to pick up our own baggage. So, you know, when we can stop blaming ourselves and we can move on from that and say, okay, this is not my fault. It's a biology. You know, it's not just me, too. Like everybody does it. Don't look at me and say, oh, Hunter, she's mindful, mom, a mentor, she never. Loses it at our kids? That's not true. Like I'm human, <laughs> I have like a bad temper sometimes, you know, and I get grumpy and all frustrated and all those things. Like everybody does. I I guarantee. It. Maybe some preschool teachers don't. <laughs> Maybe there's you know there are those few unicorns. But but really, it's universal that we all get triggered and frustrated with our kids because kids do things that are annoying. They're constant, they're loud. They're obnoxious <laughs> sometimes. Like just going about meeting their needs. Like it's not their fault either, but you know, their stuff can interfere with our needs. And and so we, this response kicks in. It's just, we have to start to acknowledge like, oh, this is a big thing. This is a big piece of my parenting that I have to take care of. And then what's cool about that is that then we can say, okay, I'm going to model how to calm down for my kids. I'm going to model emotional regulation for my kids. And that's the best way to teach it. You know, you can build the most beautiful calm down corner if you you like, but if you're not doing it, they're going to learn something different, right? Because they do great at doing what we do and terrible at doing what we say. (laughs) So...
0: (laughs) I want to take a break and drill down a little bit more on that because that unfortunately is a bit the essence of it all. We're talking to Hunter Clark Fields, the author of Raising Good Humans, and we'll be right back. Margaret, exciting news.
1: I am about to have a new baby nephew, and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro aunt (laughs) at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies, and as soon as they start standing or walking,
0: So we talk a lot on the podcast yesterday about the magic box in the woods that you're going to go out, find a map to, and inside of it is going to be like child self-esteem or mindfulness or good eating habits. And that there always seems to be these sort of, we tend to feel for ourselves, like there are these very mystery, like, well, Hunter just seems mindful. She, She found the mindful box, and if she would only tell me where the map to the box is, but really... It's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Like this is actually work that we have to practice and talk a little bit about what that practice has looked like for you.
2: Yes, absolutely. Like the best things in life come through practice, not through, not unfortunately, uh, not the magic box in the woods. No, you can't geocache this. Yeah.
0: Your kids watch you to see how to do it. They don't want you to just tell them to do it.
2: I know. It's so interesting now that I think about it, you know, like a lot of times we don't even realize we're doing this, but a lot of times as parents, we see our kids getting upset, or they're making a scene or something, and we want them to calm down so that we can feel better, right? Because, and it's strange in a way, like we're putting responsibility on these kids with not fully developed brains to be in charge of the situation. So, it's the reverse that's true. We're the ones with the fully developed brains. We're the ones who they're watching our behavior. We're modeling how to be a grown up for them and how to do things for them. So, we have to do it and that's like the best two-for-one deal ever. So, you know, if you're trying to kind of stop yelling, I mean, what I say is like there's kind of two things you have to do. You have to calm your reactivity overall and that includes, there are a a number of steps you can do that overall, including just like calming your overall, you know, reducing your overall stress levels. Like that could be like the best thing you do, taking care of yourself, right? All of those things matter. Mindfulness is a big piece in there. But then you have to calm your reactivity in the moment. So that means like when you're in a moment that where you're feeling triggered with your child, you know, we have this autopilot reactivity, right? It's this autopilot response where you raise your voice and you're scary or whatever. And we have to interrupt that pattern and practice a new pattern. And so the most important, the hardest step is to just recognize, right? Recognize that you're being triggered. And, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel calls this name it to tame it. But just just to say, like, I'm... Rather than trying to stuff it down, pretend you're not... Like, I'm... You know, Hunter says to be calm, so I'm calm. I'm I'm calm. calm. Yeah. Calm. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't work. We can't do it. We're like... And plus, our kids have amazing BS meters. You know, (laughs) they're like, I see you. (laughs) You know, I know what's going on. So... If we could just acknowledge and recognize what's happening in that moment, you know, either internally or out loud, but out loud is even better, you know, saying, I'm feeling really frustrated. I am feel like I'm about to yell, right? Like we can say that and it's like, oh, it's like, you know, the clouds part <laughs> because that moment when you acknowledge what's happening is a really powerful pattern interrupter, just saying, I'm feeling really frustrated, I'm feeling really about to yell, it calms things down quite a bit. And it interrupts the whole autopilot pattern. And that gives you this tiny bit of space that and if you've been, you know, practicing to reduce your overall stress can give you that tiny bit of space to then choose a different response. And that's really what we want. I wanted to
1: get a definition of mindfulness sort of in front of us, because like I think I know what it means, but it just means not yelling. No, it, it's something you do instead, right? It isn't just stop the bad stuff. What does it mean to be mindful?
2: So, I mean, m- I think of mindfulness in this context as like one of the long term, it's in that moment, but it's also one of the tools that we can use in the long term to calm down our reactivity, because You know, and I'll explain exactly what it is, but like a a mindfulness meditation practice, like it's amazing what it does. Like there's all these studies that show that it increases our emotional intelligence, decreases anxiety. It even like changes the brain. There are MRI scans that show that after an eight week practice of mindfulness, the amygdala, which is the center of that fight, flight, or freeze stress response, it actually shrinks, grows smaller, and the connectivity between that and the rest of the brain shrinks. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the regulates verbal ability, impulse control, that actually grows thicker. So, it is, there's like kind of like building that muscle. But mindfulness is the intention to put your attention in the present moment with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. And this is different from everyday life in that normally our attention is often in the future, or the past, or somewhere else other than where we are. And often we don't even realize it, but we're practicing the opposite of curiosity, right, which is judgment and not kindness usually. So it's a practice of putting your attention in the present moment, you know, commonly it could be on the breath, it could be on sounds, it could be on thoughts, but it's this kind of like gym for your brain and your attention. Where you're practicing to sort of control, you know, not to control, but to have a little more control over your mind, to have a the ability to bring your mind into the present moment with this attitude of non-judgment, of curiosity. And so, you can see how that would help in so many moments with our kids, right? If we can say, huh, I wonder what's causing my kid to do this, right? Rather than, what's wrong with you, you incredibly frustrating child, Right. You know, if we could bring that curiosity in, then we can have a more skillful response, right? Because then we can say, okay, what's going on underneath this? And then it's kind of like builds this awareness muscle when we practice regularly, and it builds this pause muscle. You know, it's like that that Victor Franklin quote, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our ability to choose, And that's really, really what we want. And and mindfulness builds this, like, it's like a gym for the mind building this muscle for us.
0: Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to get into the mindful parenting manifesto. We'll be right back with Hunter Clark Fields, the author of Raising Good Humans.
1: More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder.
0: Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate.
1: Fresh for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order.
0: Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut
1: butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing.
0: We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It
1: So Hunter, you have a sort of mindful parenting manifesto that you have in your book that you talk about on your podcast every week. And I wanted to sort of move through some of these things, some of which we've talked about already. One of them is that you value wisdom over reactivity, which I think is kind of what we've been talking about so far, finding what what happens what happens in the space after the reaction that we have, right? That to break that cycle. Can we talk a little bit about practicing self-compassion, which is another part of this manifesto? We just had Carla Nolmberg on the show. So she told us a little bit about self-compassion and tellingly that self-compassion is not the same as feeling awesome, right? The point of self-compassion isn't self-fuzzy, right? It's
2: self-compassion. It's acceptance. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Carla says it so well in like her lovely snarky way. And she's been a, a guest on my podcast many, many, many times. Yeah, self-compassion is like kind of the foundation for this and even more so than mindfulness because in mindfulness, there's this thing they actually have traditionally called noble failure and that you're going to try to practice bringing your attention to the present moment. You're going to try to practice these things and because you're human, you will fail at it like again and again and again and yet we begin anew and we practice and that's how we continue to build that muscle. But with everything in mindful parenting, with everything in parenting, like with me wanting to stop yelling at my kid, like. You can have that intention and you're going to mess up from time to time because you're human and that's just what we do. And so, when we mess up, it's uh, self-compassion is incredibly practical in so many ways because you're going to mess up. And when you do, if you tell yourself you're a Terrible human being, and you should just crawl in a hole and die. That's not that helpful. Like you, can't, it's harder to pick up yourself up and start again and repair your relationship or do any of the things you need to begin anew, right? But if you are compassionate to yourself, if you say to yourself, "Ah, oh, that moment sucked. It was hard, but you know what? I was having a hard time, and and I'm going to try to do better." And man, it's so hard to parent kids oh, you know, and so many people around the world feel this way, you know, I know. And when we say that to ourselves, it's like giving ourselves this soft landing. And when we give ourselves a soft landing, it's like rather than like wallowing in the muck for hours and hours and feeling terrible and debilitated and not being good parents to our kids because we're we're too busy. Yeah. Beating ourselves. Right. Still not being good parents. <laughs> yeah. Because we're just like in this, you know, pity shaming streak. Right. If we practice self-compassion, we can say, okay, that was hard. It was a bad moment. And now I can pick myself up and I can begin anew. Right. So it's actually incredibly practical to s- practice self-compassion but also we should just do it because it's hard to be human. Like it's hard for everyone to be human. And then you do parenting and you've got these like little creatures with undeveloped brains that have all these needs and energy and <laughs> and then bigger creatures who have their own minds. That's hard too. I'm in it. I'm soaking in it. And it brings up all our stuff because we feel responsible for them and you know it's incredibly hard. So the more we can say this is hard And I'm just going to do the best I can and begin anew. I'm just going to do a, you know, repair with my child, try again next time the better we can get. And it doesn't help us. The shaming doesn't help us. We know that in parenting, shaming doesn't help kids learn. And it doesn't help you learn either, right? Like, (laughs) it's not going to help you either. So, we can practice something else if shaming and self-blaming has been part of your pattern in the past. And one of the reasons we want to practice self-compassion too is because Like we talked about earlier, your kids are terrible at doing what you say, but great at doing what you do. So you can give your kid all the affirmation cards you want, but if you say to yourself that you're a terrible parent and you're a terrible human being and you are hard on yourself, eventually that inner voice is going to come out and your child's going to hear that and they're going to absorb that. You know, you live with your kid for probably at least 18 years, they're going to absorb that at some time. I mean, I I remember absorbing, I remember a moment when I absorbed that from my mom because I saw her in the mirror when I was like, I don't know, adolescent or something and just touching her face and saying, oh, I'm so ugly, you know, saying that to herself and she was having a hard time. I'm not saying that to blame her, but what did I go do when I was in my late teens and early twenties? I did the same exact thing, Right. So we have to live what we want our kids to learn. And that's why it's always, always kind of starts with, you know, that mindfulness, awareness of what I'm thinking, awareness of what I'm feeling, and then that compassion, because it's super hard to do this parenting thing. And we're none of us, 0% of us are going to do it perfectly.
0: I think the focus on practicality makes so much sense because I'm having this kind of week where like, there's no time, there's no time, there's no time to feed the kids, be nice to the kids. There's no time to smile at my husband. I'm way too busy and fraught and everything's going wrong. And I was talking to somebody yesterday about some sort of mindfulness ideas and meditation and like regrounding during that phase. And they were saying back to me, the famous, I think it's a Dalai Lama quote, I could be getting that wrong, where someone says, what about people who are too busy to meditate for an hour a day? And he says, oh, they should definitely meditate for two hours a day. And I speak for like the people who are listening who are like, this all sounds good. But my life is too crazy to try to practice something like this. I'm too busy to try to interrupt cycles. I just got to get through the day.
2: Yeah, I hear that. I mean, and I get it, like life is incredibly busy, but I kind of agree with the Dolly Lemon crew, but I think an hour and two hours is a little extreme. I mean, the thing about a mindfulness practice is that it's like exercise, right? We know that going for a five-minute walk is better than sitting all day long, right? And we know that if you go for two 20-minute walks, that's maybe better than sitting than a five-minute walk, right? But it doesn't mean don't do the five-minute walk because, you know, you can't do, you know, an hour-long workout every day, right? So, you know what I mean? So, it's it helps no matter what. And people are working on sort of minimum viable dose of mindfulness and things like that as far as research. But I know that I know because I've worked with so many people that just like five minutes a day of practice can make an enormous difference. And you can build from that too, if you want, but you could go with five minutes a day for like years. And that is like an incredibly helpful dose of this practice. And for someone who says, I don't have five minutes a day, I guarantee you're spending more than that On Instagram or social media, right? I guarantee it. You can find five minutes a day for this practice because it just makes, it like evens out the waves. It gives you more awareness. It's kind of like you're wearing these glasses and you don't realize right now how fogged up your glasses are with the panic of busyness and our mindsets and things like that. And then mindfulness practice helps us clean the lens and it's kind of this weird practice where it gives you more time because you spend less time like ruminating you start to interrupt ruminating cycles and things like that and you and when you're more present you get things done faster and more efficiently so i do challenge that like you can find 5 minutes a day
0: <laughs> that's what i need to hear this week <laughs> All
1: right, so I have a question. So this is, having been in this place, as we all get to, with an extremely dysregulated kid, a kid that's tantruming, a two-year-old that's tantruming, or, you know, a teenager that's melting down, whatever it is, in the moment, I believe that our kids will learn from the mindfulness that we practice. It's not immediate, however, just like it's not immediate for us. So I'm thinking of times. Bummer. Let's just say I'm asking for a friend. times when your kid is extremely dysregulated, and I'm learning the pause. I'm learning how to stay present, to not yell and not check out, but stay present. And then they're still dysregulated. And they might still have five or 10 minutes of yelling and pounding their fists onto the floor. Then in in such moments, I would feel the pull... To get like, okay, like I could pause for 10 seconds, but not for 10 minutes. Like get your act together. Like how to not like just get
0: sucked in eventually when their dysregulation continues. And not have it on the clock because that's such a good point, right? Of like, all right, I was mindful, but now I'm done. Get to your room and I'm going to start screaming. (laughs) Right. You have used up your allotment. (laughs) I tried mindfulness and now it's time to get... No. Now it's time to get serious,
1: kid. Right. I'm breathing deep and you are not, maybe in 10 years you'll be breathing deep, but right now you're still losing your mind and we're late for school. How do you sort of stay present when it gets a little difficult to stay present?
2: Sometimes you don't stay present. Sometimes, like there's all these wonderful parenting coaches who say, stay with your child and help them regulate their feelings because they co-regulate with you, right? Like, and that is really great. If you can, like that's optimal if you can't. And sometimes you just can't, like you're gonna gonna be with a screaming child. It's gonna be trigger you and completely dysregulate you. And then you're gonna end up screaming at your kid. And that's worse. (laughs) So actually, so I teach like for in the moment, the three R's, recognize that you're triggered. We already talked about that. And then the second one is remove yourself because like maybe you can stay there and that's great if you can, right? That's optimal if you can well, we're not optimal human beings. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're about to lose it. So if your child is safe, it's much better to like remove yourself and then use then the third R is use your resources to calm down your stress response than it is to scream at your kid. I remember one time when my daughter, Sora, was like two years old. She was just screaming. I could feel myself getting overwhelmed and about to lose it. So I put her in her crib I walked out of her room. I walked into my room. I walked out onto my balcony to breathe (laughs) and she was safe. And I was like, not going to scream at her, you know? So that was a win. It's, you know, we don't want to just like, we have to be practical about these things. Like, yes, we don't want to leave your child every time when they're having difficult feelings. Like, and it's great if you can stay there. But, you know, if you're feeling like you're about to lose it, sure, remove yourself. So then you can use some resources to calm down.
0: I like the practicality of it. That's for me because I sometimes feel like this is an area where I am a failure parent and I like the practicality of like, it can be small and it can be walking away when you need it too. It's not always just like, I am the calm river and whatever happens, I stay there because that will never <laughs> be me and never be my personality, no. but there's still so much useful information for me in it.
2: And you can even model that like when you're doing that for your kid, you'd be like, I need a minute. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Say it out loud. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need a minute. I'll be back in a minute or two. Like I need a minute. And then you can go use some resources, right? So there's so many resources for this. Like the breath is cliche because it works. As soon you can exhale, do longer exhales than your inhales. So as long, as soon as you do that, you're kind of like forcing your system into the opposite of the stress response. Because each inhale is kind of like a mini stress response in the nervous system, and each exhale is a mini opposite rest and relax response. So, if you breathe in for four and breathe out for six, like if you do that three times, you're going to feel the difference. You're going to feel your body shifting into a different zone. So, you can use the breath, you can shake it out. So, I have this book on my bookshelf called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. and and why don't zebras get holsters right like they're on the savannah peacefully grazing when like a tribe of lionesses like comes and chases them and they, their stress response kicks in and they flee to safety. So why aren't like they living with all this like accumulated stress and ulcers? Because if you watch animals and you can even watch your dog, they shake it out, right? They shake, you know, and we can do that. We can shake our hands. Like sometimes like I'll just like go full on zebra, like shake my whole body, like arms, legs, head, everything. It feels really good. It really helps. And you can do things like, um, you can use calm down mantras. Like you can say to yourself, I always like to put a hand to my heart when I'm doing this. Like, I am helping my child. I am helping my child. Or you can say, you know, when they yell, I get calmer. (laughs) When they yell, I get calmer, right? Which has the benefit of being a little bit silly. And so if you can laugh, if you can lighten up, you're always going to be a better parent, right? Or you can say to yourself, like, this is not an emergency. This is not an emergency, right? And so, you're just telling your nervous system that, hey, we can calm down. We can use the whole brain. You know, I can go back into that nurturer role and out of this threatened role. So, there's a whole like, and I encourage people to make like a a little menu like of resources and you just practice the new response. And instead of, you know, I say, put up sticky notes everywhere (laughs) in the car, in the bathroom, And then practice the new response until that becomes more of a habit.
1: We've been talking to Hunter Clark Field. She's the author of Raising Good Humans and the host of the Mindful Mama podcast and the creator of the Mindful Parenting course. So Hunter, tell us about all of that and where we can find you.
2: Sure. Everything is my website, Mindful Mama Mentor. The Mindful Mama podcast has been going for a long time. And we have so many episodes with so many great, so many interviews and coaching calls and things like that. And then if people really want to take it deeper, the Mindful Parenting course brings you through the Mindful Parenting clear method. And it helps you through all those things you need to do to do that inner work to calm your stress response. And then How to communicate so you don't have to use like threats and punishment and things like that. So. All of that is at Ah, oh,
0: This was the conversation. Someone sent me this conversation this week from the universe because this was a conversation I needed to hear this week. Just saying. Just for me. Just, and I'm not saying it for a friend. I'm saying it for myself. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Hunter.
2: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Hunter.